Last week we began in the book of Hosea by learning how Hosea married Gomer, a woman who was unfaithful to him. But it was an illustration of how the people of Israel had been unfaithful to God, yet God continued to love them. And Hosea went back to his unfaithful wife and loved her, an illustration of the unfailing love of God. Uh, This morning, we want to look at the case that God had against the people of Israel in Hosea's day. And I ask you, have you ever been in a courtroom? It doesn't seem to matter why I'm in a courtroom. I'm always intimidated by the courtroom. I I think it's because I know I'm guilty of something. And I'm in the courtroom and I'm afraid the judge or somebody's going to find out about it. And then I'm going to be hauled off to jail. Uh, That must be what it is because... I've only been in court a couple of times. One was for, I told you this, that that silly ticket I got driving up I-85 because my car tent was too dark on my windows. And it was a used car that I bought in Virginia. I mean, why did it have dark tent on it? I don't know. But I got a ticket from Brunswick County for that. had to go to court and uh, was able to have the ticket dismissed, but still had to pay the court cost and all of that. So it still cost me quite a bit. But anyway, I I was there for that. I was there for uh, Christian getting his license and hearing the lesson and the lecture from the judge about how this license is a privilege and how I can take it away from him and all of that. And then the judge gave Christian his license. And so those are just a couple of examples of times I've been there. But like I said, every time I'm in a courtroom, I am intimidated. I would especially be intimidated if... I were the Israelites and heard these words from God. In Hosea 4.1, Hear the word of the Lord, people of Israel, for the Lord has a case against the inhabitants of the land. The Israelites are being drugged into court, and God is the prosecutor, and God is the judge. And you would think, that they would be intimidated, that they would be afraid. But as we will see, they're neither one of those. Before we look at Hosea, I want us to examine this disturbing verse in James because it's an outline of what happened to the people of Israel and what happens in our life. James says before this verse that God does not tempt anyone to sin. But each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desire. So that's where sin is conceived. Inside ourselves. And after that desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown... It gives birth to death. This verse always haunts me. It paints a grotesque picture. When we think of birth and of growth, it's always happiness. But not in this case. It's sin, like a cancer that's conceived and then gives birth and then brings death. And this is what happened to the Israelites, and it happens to us. And I want you to hear this morning how we can have a remedy 
so that this doesn't happen to us. For the ancient Israelites, this is how sin was conceived. They simply went away from God. I want us to see the different ways that Hosea describes their turning away from God. It says in Hosea 7.13 that they ran away from God. Woe to them, for they fled from me. Hosea 4.10 says they have abandoned their devotion to the Lord. Hosea 4.6 says my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. And Hosea 8.12, though I were to write out for him 10,000 points of my instruction, they would be regarded as something strange. So, so far the picture are the people of God running from him, abandoning him. And part of that is because they don't know God, because they don't know the word of God. They don't have knowledge of him. And this verse in Hosea chapter 8 is so uh, damning, because God says, I could write all about my word. I said, what is this? Uh, could you imagine if you called yourself a Christian, and then I started quoting Bible verses, and you said, well, I've never heard that before. What are you talking about? That's what's happened to the people in Hosea's day. Also, they had forgotten him, chapter 2 says. And instead of trusting in God, God says, you have trusted in your own way. This is where sin always gets started. We think of sin as an act of disobedience, which it is. But before there's an action, there is a change of direction. There's a running away from God. There's a turning from God. There's a abandoning God. There is ignoring His word. There is a trust in ourselves, in our own way, in our own thoughts, rather than God and His way. That's where it always begins. So I, I want you to think about this for a moment because this is vitally important to our Christian lives. If we are not close to God, we will sin. And sin will bring its destruction. Sometimes we complain about how we struggle with sin and we complain about its effect in our lives and we wish we had a way that we could fight it better and it wouldn't tempt us so much. And then we look at our life and we're not anywhere close to God. We're not spending time with Him. We're not reading His Word. We're not devoted to Him. We're not thinking about Him. We're not worshiping Him. All we are focused on is ourself. What we want, what we desire, what we want to do. Well, no wonder then that sin is a problem. See, the Israelites, before they worshipped false gods, and we'll see all the sins they've committed, the first one mistake they made, the first decision they made was to abandon and run away 
from God. So the remedy to running away from God is obviously staying close to God. So I want to help you with how we can stay close to God. And what I'm about to share with you is not new. It's not complicated. But still at times, it feels like it's hard to do. And honestly, I don't know why, because it's very simple. Paul tells us in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, he says, I say then, walk by the Spirit, and you will certainly not carry out the desire of the flesh. We are believers in Jesus Christ. Therefore, God the Holy Spirit lives within us. One of the reasons he lives there, one reason God is literally with us, in us, is to empower us is to help us walk with God, be close to God, so that we don't sin. That's one of the the reasons why we have God in here. Uh, the, The Israelites, we are told, had the law of God written on stone tablets. But we have it written on our hearts. But see, we still have free will. God can scream to us what is right. And God can provide the power to do what is right. But we can still say no to God. We can quench the Spirit. That's like just taking a bucket of water and pouring it on God. We can grieve the Spirit. We can say no to the Spirit. But, Paul says, if we say yes to God, walk in the Spirit, we're not going to want to fulfill the desires of our flesh. James says it this way, Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Humbling ourselves before God, running from the devil instead of running from God, and coming close to God, God will be there with us. I love these verses because, again, we are tempted to embrace the things of our selfish desires and embrace the things that Satan keeps whispering in our ears to do. But if we humble ourselves and say no to Satan, draw near to God, God will be there with us. The simplest way to walk in the flesh to humble ourselves and to resist the devil is what you've been taught if you've been a Christian for years since the first time you heard about Jesus, probably. That's to read the Word of God and to pray. I think it sounds too simple that we often ignore it. We say it's too simple, it can't be that significant. It can't make that much of a difference. It sounds too easy. But there is where the power of God is. The Word of God's living. As we read it, we see our sin, and we see where we need to confess. And then God's Spirit works in us. And the more that we know about God, the more that He speaks to us in our situation, the closer we are to Him and the farther we are from sin. 
in prayer. We are talking to God, sharing our burdens, asking for help, committed to being close to Him. And He is close to us then and keeps us from temptation. Isn't it true in the Lord's Prayer? That's part of the prayer. Keep us from temptation. And God will do so. So, in the Word of God, in praying continually, keeps us close to God. And in my life, at times when I have felt far from God, and I look at my life, right there is one of the first things that I leave out because of a busy day, of a busy week. And it doesn't take long to have wandered away from God. So make it a central part of each day and you will stay close to God. They ran away from God. Then they rebelled against God. In a general sense, they broke the promise. They broke the covenant. God says, but they, like Adam, have violated the covenant. There they have betrayed me. Remember, God and the Israelites made a covenant. That's why the illustration of marriage is used. They made a promise to each other. God promised them, if you obey me, I will bless you. If you disobey me, I will discipline you. The people said, we agree, Lord. We will obey you. We will follow you. We will worship you. If we don't, we'll accept the consequences. Well, they weren't obeying God. They weren't worshiping him And now, because they had broken that promise, they were about to face the consequences. What had they done? Here's a a simplified version of the Ten Commandments. You know them well. You probably also know that if you look at them carefully, on the left side are commands that keep us close to God, tell us how to worship Him, And the ones on the right tell us how to treat each other. That's not surprising when Jesus was asked what was the most important commandment in the law. He said the law was summarized by loving God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and loving your neighbor as yourself. Those are commands, but they also summarize all the commands. They can be easily grouped into commands that tell us how to Worship God, how to relate to God, and how to relate with others. And so God's case against the Israelites looks very much like this as he points out what they have broken and what they have done and how they have violated the commandments. And so we could spend all morning reading the verses because most of the book of Hosea is God telling them, this is what you have done wrong. So I will try to summarize them quickly, but I want you to see again how it kind of does go back to the Ten Commandments and to the summary of the commandments of loving God and loving others. They worshipped idols. They spoke lies about God. They looked to other nations instead of looking to God for help. When their country was facing crisis, other nations about to attack them, instead of going to God and asking for help, they went to make treaties with other nations so that they could get together and fight their common enemy. So we said earlier, they had no knowledge of God. Also, they had no prayer life. 
Is this you at times? And it's me at times. They complained instead of talking to God. <laughs> Don't we do that a lot? Uh, they were suffering a lot of the consequences of their sin, but instead of doing anything about it, they were complaining. They, I'm sure they complained about how bad the harvest was. They complained about how bad the weather was. They complained about, uh, about how their nation was in crisis. They complained about the enemies that were about to attack. They complained about their leaders. They complained about their priests. They complained about things, but they never went to God and talked to God about it. If they had, maybe God would have listened and done something. But as it was, their complaining got nothing done. I have to really convict myself of that. I do way too much complaining rather than praying. So the next time you're ready to complain about somebody or something, take it to the Lord first, and then maybe you can complain about it. Okay? They decided what they were going to do as a nation without talking to God. And this is very striking. As God blessed them, did they thank God? No. They used the wealth they had to sin even more. And how they treated each other. There was murder and bloodshed, adultery, theft. Specifically theft by moving boundary markers. This comes up a lot in the Old Testament. It sounds kind of strange to us. But of course back then they didn't have uh, surveyors like we do. Didn't have all the equipment. Your property was marked off by rocks. Rocks are real easy to move. So you want to steal some of your neighbor's property, just move his rocks. Now your property is bigger, and his is smaller. And if you're sneaky about it, he may never notice it. Especially if he's got some of that nice pasture land that your sheep would really love. Just move his marker. But it was theft. We have our government supposedly to help us with this next problem. If you go to the gas pump, don't you see the seal on there that says someone has from the government has checked it to make sure it is charging you the right amount. Just think how much a gas station owner could rip you off. Now, if you bought a gallon of gas and it was only nine-tenths of a gallon, how much profit he would make? That's what they did, stealing from each other. Also, they lied. They made false oaths, and the verse in chapter 10, verse 4 says there were all kinds of lawsuits. That wasn't surprising. <laughs> they would go to court and they would lie. And then there were more lawsuits, because now there was libel, and I didn't, that didn't, I didn't do that, I didn't say that, but someone testified that you did. They cursed, there was no truth and no faithful love. As a result, this is what God said to them. They never considered that I remember all their evil. Now their actions are all around them. They are right in front of my face. I know we know this, but we often don't consider it when we sin. But God knows everything we do. I know when I go my own way, I ignore that truth. I don't know why. I still think somehow I can get away with it. You know, I never could get away with it with my parents. Why do I think I'm going to get away with it with God? My parents seem to always find out. God always finds out because he always knows. He doesn't have to find it out. You can't fool God. You can't hide things from God. He sees it all. And God said to them, 
The same judgment will happen to both people and priests. I will punish them for their deeds. I'm not going to go any farther this morning because I want to spend a whole sermon talking about how God disciplined His people. But I want you to see again the progression. They turned from God, then they disobeyed God and how they worshipped Him, how they treated others. And now their sin is giving birth to death. And it's true in our life as well. Sin always brings death. God told Adam that from the very beginning. You eat of this fruit and you will die. And it has always been the case, but we always want to ignore it. Of course, Adam didn't die immediately. Often our sin's consequences aren't felt immediately. Why? Because God wants us to repent. If God killed us every time we sinned, it'd only be one sin and we'd be dead. God gives us, he's patient with us because he wants us to repent and come back to him. But sin always immediately separates us from God. Even as Christians, it separates us from our fellowship with Him. If we continue in sin, Paul even wrote in 1 Corinthians, there were Corinthians in the church at Corinth who had died because of their sin. All of us, of course, will die one day, and it is a consequence of the fact that we are sinners. But the great news is that those who believe in Christ, our sins are forgiven. And our death is not the end, or it's not a ticket to hell. There's a resurrection to eternal life. The last thing I want to help you with, I don't want to leave you with the depressing news of the consequences of sin. We do sin, even as Christians. But I want you to hear this, too. There's not a sin that you have to commit. This is the, the hard thing to understand sometimes. I say this, and I don't want it to sound uh, like we can be perfect people. But every time that we sin, it's a choice we make. That's my point. Satan doesn't do it. God doesn't tempt us. It's a choice we make. And when we sin, if we are making the wrong choice, that means we could have always made the right choice. So theoretically, you could make the right choice every time. You have the power of God to do so. God hasn't left us alone to have to choose and to fight on our own. So you could choose to do right every time. And if you chose to do right every time, I guess you would be perfect. But the Bible also says that we don't choose right every time. And that we do sin. But when we do, this is what we do. Confess our sin, John says, and he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And also Paul tells us to repent. I now rejoice not because you were grieved, but because you grief led to repentance. So confessing sin is saying to God, this is sin. Because so many times we want to rationalize it, we want to ignore it or redefine our sin but to be honest with God and say, this is sin, is confessing it. 
Lord, I have disobeyed you. This is sin. That's the confession. The repentance is turning away from it. I have sinned. I'm not going to sin again. I'm turning away from the sin and turning to God. And with the confession and the repentance, there is to be a change in our life. We're warned in the Bible, and John the Baptist warned the Pharisees here in Matthew chapter 3, of people who sin, they say, God, I'm sorry. And then they go the next day and do the exact same thing. God, I'm sorry again. And they have a pattern of just saying, sorry, sorry, as they keep living a sinful life. John the Baptist said, produce fruit consistent with repentance. In other words, if you say to God, God, this is sin, and you say to God, God, I'm not going to sin again, well, then don't do it. Let's see a life that's changed. Let's see a life that's filled with righteousness. And again, you're not alone. God empowers us with His Spirit to live a life of righteousness. Again, Paul said, walk in the Spirit, and you will not do the desires of the flesh. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we are thankful for the power that you give us, your power, you yourself, God living in us, to strengthen and enable us to live a godly life. My prayer for myself and your people this morning is that we would be serious about the sin in our life. And that being serious about it, Lord, we would confess it and repent of it. And we would stay close to you so that we have less of a desire to sin and less of a desire to be far from you. I pray that the the devotion of our heart would be to love you and stay close to you. May we do so, Lord, in this moment, in this day, in this week. And I pray, Jesus, in your name, amen.